0: quite easy to be a leader when things are going well like any team like any board you're only as good as your weakest link and I'll say his name and his way was about winning today I think I've learned more about bad leadership and what I've learned through seeing bad leadership welcome to the lunch at work podcast where we talk to experts about how to make workplaces better
1: today ex-professional cricketer Neil McLaurin talks to us about what he's learned on the field and how that helps him today in the boardroom. For those who don't know you very well, can you give us a little brief introduction, who you are and kind of how you got to where you are today? Uh, I guess my potted history,
0: uh, left school, didn't do brilliantly academically because sport was my life. So I bluffed my way through my academic uh, side of school. Mm. Played professional cricket for four years at Middlesex, which was a great honour. So straight from school, I sort of treated that as my university, as it were, my four years. Uh, Then I got into business in the hospitality industry in the late 80s, 1988. Uh, Ended up selling that business in 2003, with no intention of hanging around for too long, but eventually did, I think, 11 and a half years. And I guess the last sort of four or five years or so have been more sort of non-executive roles, advisory roles, working with various businesses, one of which is BM. Uh, So I've been with you guys four years or so now. It's about that, yeah, <laughs> through COVID, uh, but again, lots of fun, lots of changes, as we know. But a fantastic business with a great soul, which I, uh, which I love.
1: Yeah, the COVID times were not good. We were always on screens together, so it's got nice to be the same room now.
0: Yeah, we were, and it's, it's amazing how we've all adapted, isn't it?
1: You know, when it first
0: came in, it was like the world had come to an end, wasn't it? But you know, we are very resilient people, especially in the hospitality industry, incredibly resilient. Uh, I think it pulled everybody together in very, very tough times. Uh, and look, you know, it seems like a bit of a
1: distant memory now, and, uh, and on we go. So a lot of sports people seem to do very well in business afterwards. Why do you think that is? What, what is it about being in sport and doing well in sport that kind of sets you up? Or is there, is there a link? I'm assuming there is, because it seems quite common. Um, yeah, I, I I think there is a link, certainly from my perspective. And I, I sort
0: of draw a lot of analogies from different personalities, analogy between the boardroom and the dressing room. Uh, Going back to my, you know, not being great academia and doing a lot of stuff within the sporting world, always in the dressing room from a very young age. And like a boardroom, you know, you have a captain who's your leader or your CEO. You have your coaching team, which might be your non-executives. And then you have a load of, sometimes quite disparate individuals. Uh, And I think there are lots of analogies between... dressing room as i say and 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 the boardroom that you know you have to deal with different personalities and bring the strengths out of those individuals so you all are together and working as one so i think i think there are lots of similarities between business and and sport Uh, a lot of it is very simplistic it's communication Uh, it's having a very clear strategy that everybody around the board table and everyone in your business similar to around the dressing room buys into and i think if you look at Certainly, I'll take the English cricket team at the moment. You know, cricket is a great love of mine. I think we won one test match out of 70 uh, up until about a year ago and came back from the Caribbean a year ago. Everyone was at a low ebb. And just with a change of personnel and a change of philosophy and strategy have now been, I think we've had a lot of test match, about 12 test matches, with a very simple, clear change of philosophy and strategy that clearly everybody in that dressing room has bought into and if you then take that to business and I would hazard to guess I work with half a dozen or so different businesses and I sound like a broken record you've got to bang on about the strategy having that absolutely agreed and bought into by every stakeholder within your business so I think there are numerous analogies and similarities between business and sport
1: because the disparate personality may be smile because our board does have very different personalities and angus and i you know it's sort the of joint md with me famously have different personalities and that's yeah why i think it worked so so i suppose my other question is around having been part of a team in the cricket world you know has that helped you as a leader in terms of you know skill set that's migrated and like you've just given that analogy around the uh, the cricket team and down doing well with that change yeah yeah what, what do you learn from being a cricketer that you brought? i think It's interesting, I I
0: learned a lot when I wasn't captaining, when I was in card dressing room, but I wasn't a leader. And I had captained sort of age group sides and at school, but that was more what I would say recreational. You know, you then go into a professional cricket environment, which is very much results-driven, it's all about today. And actually, when I joined the Middlesex staff in the sort of early mid-80s, they were a very, very successful side. You know, they were winning championships, they were winning one-day cups and everything else. And I went in as an 18-year-old kid, and we had a very famous captain who went on to captain England. But what I did learn as a young... One of the things I learned, rather, actually was, in my view, how not to captain. Quite easy to be a leader when things are going well, and Middlesex was going well. But what wasn't happening, and I've talked to the guys that I shared the dressing with since I left, there was no real desire to support the youngsters and welcome them into that environment. It was almost as if we were a threat. And I don't believe it's a coincidence that when the elder guys retired, Middlesex went through a bit of a void, a performance void, for about a six, seven-year period afterwards. And I do believe that's because the younger... Individuals there were treated more as a threat right. rather than a leader embracing. And again, you take that analogy back to business. You know, you are like any team, like any board. You're only as good as your weakest link. And we all need to be managed differently. We all have different personalities. And I'll say his name, Mike Gatting. He's a great friend of mine now. Yeah, I get on very, very hugely successful cricketer, England captain, won the Ashes in eighty-five, six in Australia, yeah. etc. But Gat did it his way and his way was about winning today and that's fine you know we get that but you also have to balance that performance with the future managing supporting and bringing young talent through the business and i think you know within our business your business anthony i think barla mitchell is fantastic you know in doing that you know we talk about the bm family but actually we do live and breathe it every day don't we Mm. you know we don't treat our colleagues as as a threat you know we want to you know, encouraged them and promote them and support them. So, again, to answer your question directly, I think I've learned more about bad leadership and what I've learned through seeing bad leadership to try and take that into my business life or business lives around it's about having, you know, the, a, t- a team of people all pulling in the same direction.
1: And that legacy piece is very important in terms of the responsibility, I suppose, a leader to, to share what you know and bring on new talent.
0: Yeah, I I think it, yeah, I'm sure it is, Anthony, and, you know, and if you're a leader, you're a CEO, you're a joint MD in your role, actually the clever ones have better people around them. You know, whether Steve Jobs was quoted as saying, wasn't he the clever thing I did, was always get cleverer people around me. Yeah. So it's embracing that, you know, broad talent pool to sort of benefit the collective good of the business, because a business is never about one individual. Yes, there might be a front woman, a front man, a front whatever, but it's, you know, so it's around the collective team that are all pulling in the same direction, which is, again, comes back to strategy. We spend a lot of time talking about strategy within BM, don't we? If you don't have a clear strategy that you communicate out to all of your team members, you probably aren't going to go anywhere fast mm. in a very fast-moving world, which we all live in. Do
1: you miss Chris being a cricketer? Is it a- a big loss in your life, our pack. <laughs> I, well, I, I worked around sport
0: when I stopped playing for, for nearly 30 years. So I sort of kept involved with sport, but more the commercial side of sport. Yeah. Um, I don't miss the physical playing of it. I have to tell you. Read it. That. And, okay. I, and I sort of stopped playing uh, club cricket, minor county cricket, sort of reasonably competitive cricket in my mid-30s. Family and everything else. And I was also working a lot of weekends in that sort of sport hospitality side of things. So... But I do miss the dressing room and, you know, the the great buzz of either winning or losing. You know, winning, clearly the buzz in the dressing room when you've won something is euphoric. It's fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. It's like winning a new contract in, a, in contract catering. You just get that, you know, that real buzz. So I do miss that. I miss the dressing room, but the physical playing of it. Too old and blind,
1: <laughs> and my knees are up that as <laughs> well. Sadly, this podcast is powered by BM Caterers. Contacting BM is the easiest way to start
0: your journey to a better workplace experience. Click the link in the description for more
1: info. Did you see the game change though? Because it used to be like it was a sport of kings. It used to be called, cool, didn't it? At one stage, I'm guessing it became very commercial, and they continued to do so. Did you see, you know, in your career and since, have you seen a big change?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, a big change. Yeah, um, and I'll give you an example. So if you were 12th man for the first 11, and, you know, a huge privilege to be in the home dressing room at Lord's Cricket Ground, which was Middlesex's home ground, where clearly the England players uh, base themselves during Test cricket, one of your duties as 12th man was to do the drinks right. after the game. And you would go up to the bar and the restaurant, and you'd go around at tea time, round the lads, and you'd say, what are you having to drink after the game? And without a word of a lie, in the mid-80s, the drinks list probably composed of five pints of lager, a bottle of red wine, two gin and tonics, and a couple of pints of bitter. You now go into any dressing room in any sport, and you won't see any alcohol going down straight after. So has has the game changed? Yes, the game has changed a lot. Uh, I think one of the things that has changed sport broadly, cricket specifically, is Sky Television's investment in sport. Uh, We didn't have 2020 cricket when I played um, all those years ago. I think that has been transformational for world cricket, different audiences, more female watching, more kids watching. Fantastic. Because sport survives on sort of main revenue streams, which is media broadcast rights, sponsorship rights, ticketing and hospitality revenue. Mm -hmm. And sponsors now will want to get involved in sport if it has a very diverse appeal. Right. And if you look at the 100, which is our English domestic um it's not actually franchised cricket, but domestic cricket here, which is always in August, the audience, the differentiation now in the audience coming to watch that sport is fantastic. That then appeals to a wider group of sponsors. Mm. You know, because when I was playing, it was tobacco sponsors. They can't sponsor sport Back anymore. Not anymore. No. Alcohol sponsors, they still do, but it's usually around alcohol free zero zero, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, but if you have a wide target audience, that's who sponsors want to to get hold of. Uh, so the game's moved on; it's it's more professional than it mm-hmm. was. Of, it, looking back over my hopeless cricketing career <laughs> for, for four years, it was more it was more fun, right? And I, I'm not saying they don't have fun now. I think they do have fun, but it's it's far more professional uh, for all the right reasons, more business focused. Yes, yeah, and I, and I think that you know I, I have to say when I did my four years, I. I sort of knew hand on heart, and this is another reason I'll come back to about leadership, by the way. I never thought I was going to quite make it. Why did I think that? A lot of people were saying, you know, you're talented enough, you've got all the talent. But in in sport, professional sport, you can have all the talent in the world. But if mentally you're not quite right, you probably won't go anywhere. And looking back, the the, the Mike Gatting era of Middlesex, a phenomenal um, era for, for Middlesex cricket, it was sort of a bit of fear of failure. You know, if you don't score, you're going to be dropped. You're going to be left out. Now, that's one management style is fear. You know, managing by fear is, is one form of management, which personally I don't buy into. I'm more of a collective. Right, come on, it's about glass. You know, glass half full rather than glass half empty. Yeah. It's about encouragement and promoting. But we all have our different styles Anthony. and that was and that was one of them.
1: a lot of. It's back to culture, isn't it? Really, it sounds like cricket's changed culturally yeah. quite significantly. How have you, or have you, taken that sort of knowledge of culture change and things into your business world? It's a good question. Yeah,
0: 30-odd years ago when I played, no one ever talked about the world word culture, mm. really. And in the 70s and 80s, we were in a different world than we are. we are now for lots of reasons, some good, some bad. But, you know, things move on. So culture was never really a word. You know, team spirit mm. were the words, you know, in addressing them that we were all together when we went out on the field of play. I think the reality was then, from what I saw or was part off, we weren't really. There were definite fractures within the dressing room, right. which again, not unique to Middlesex. Surrey were similar to us, our big competitors south of the river. They probably had a more fractured dressing than the Middlesex did. Whereas I think the world has changed and moved on and, and culture and everything that goes with that. But it's no longer a word. It is deep-rooted, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that all those, you know, quality, diversity, inclusion, ESG, the environment, everything now, businesses do live and breathe those. You know, it's no longer a tick box, a gender item. You know, you live and breathe those values. We do within BMs, yeah. you know, it's always top of our uh, agendas, and it, but it's not a tick box. And I think that's something that is very, very positive. It's not going to go away. Thankfully, I think it's hugely important. But yeah, so we were more team spirit than culture. Um, but culture's crucial, isn't it? You know, it's it's your day-to-day living. It's your day-to-day environment. It's why you get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, it's like it's why you can put your head on your pillow and sleep at night, you know, because you know you've got things culturally right. And sometimes, and I think one of the things that COVID has probably, has probably been good coming out of COVID because I think those values have been accelerated within business. And I think it's not necessarily, and I hope I don't sound commercially naive here, I think it isn't all just around the bottom line now. There's far more important things that businesses should be doing. And if you get those right, do you know what you'll do? You're going to make some money. Yeah. So I think those i think those values, that culture has changed. I think COVID has accelerated that from what I see, I'm sure what we see in, in our business, Anthony. Yeah. And that's got to be good news. I think there's more awareness now, individually and collectively within the business, around the impact of what we're doing.
1: I agree, with you because I think it's always been a part of BM in terms of our culture has always been fundamental to how we make decisions to detract from goals or promises we made to the team and on clients. But I agree. with you. I think that was probably the one plus comment if you can find one, it, yeah. it did bring that. Yeah, to the fore, a lot more, Mm. and it was much more evident. And I think it became more important to certainly our teams, but also our clients as well, because, as you know, we've been quite strategic in who we work with. We want a a partnership approach, and you always look for cultural alignments, you know, to make sure that it's not going to be just about the commerciality.
0: Yeah. I think that's key, you know, partnership, we talked about it yesterday. It's sort of a bit of an overused word, isn't Mm. it? It's an easy thing to say we have a great partnership, but actually, partnerships lived and breathed every day. And again, that comes back to strategic alignment, doesn't it? You know, we've all got the same objectives, we've all got the same goals and ambitions, and we'll work together to deliver them. And you know, when I met Wendy years ago, Wendy Bartlett years ago, and she asked me whether I'd come on board when I sort of stopped doing normal stuff, I suppose. Uh, One of the main attractions was everything that I had heard and seen about the BM family, and it is lived and is breathed every day,
1: and long may it continue. And the family aspect is very important. And I think another, I suppose, buzzword trend has been well-being know, for employee well-being has been a big part of I think, our culture for an old time, but it's certainly something now we have to consider when we're attracting new people. I just wondered if that was something you saw in sport back in the day in terms of, you know, did you feel like you your well looked after as your well-being? When you were thinking about leaving cricket, was there any support? Was there any... You said about the yeah, you know, the mindset was that you didn't feel like you were going to be a big success in cricket and that held you back, presumably. Do you think nowadays that would be a different approach for the team and the coaches and the people around you, would there be more support? Uh there certainly is now. Yeah. From what I see in,
0: in, in, in sports. You know, when I was was, was playing paid to play professional sport, there was very little support, if anything. It was pretty much a single swim mentality. And I know that sounds dreadful, but it's fact, mm. that's sort of how it was. And in those days, it was just the infancy of things like what's now called the, the Professional Cricketers Association, which looks after all present and past professional cricketers. And they are there to advise, support. Um, also, it's the benevolent charity of, of, of cricket for us athlete. But that only literally started, funny enough, PC only started when I played. You have the RPA. The Rugby Players Association, now, that didn't exist 35 years ago. So, again, as the world has moved on, there is more support around professional athletes. But sadly, when I played, there was there—but there was nothing. You know, you might, you'd have your mates in the dressing room and you'd probably console each other in the bar or the hotel the evening after if you'd lost or got nought or whatever it might have been. Outside of that, there was no support structure whatsoever. And as you say, within within BM, and I think in BM, business broadly now there is far more support um because as as, you know as you are you know employing 700 odd people now across bm you have to take those responsibilities very very seriously and live and breathe those every day you know we have a duty of care and we do within our business as you know we take that very seriously
1: so i suppose it's that mirrored change in culture in sport and in business really because i don't think you've probably got that level of support in the workplace at the time either it's, it's, it's evolved, I think, over the years. I, I think,
0: yeah, it has. And when I left and we started our business in the late 80s, our hospitality business, you know, we, we built it from the the bottom up and we grew. We were never a large organisation. We only had 20 odd old employees at our, at our zenith. Uh, and we sort of felt our way. And you look back at it now, Anthony, you go, oh, God, you know, real seat-of-the-pants stuff. And we we had no sort of HR support or anything else. So you've had a owner managed environment for whatever we had it for sixteen years or so. Then went into this huge lumbering animal, and all of a sudden you've got an HR function mm. which we never had before. Um, so yes, the things have moved on, and thankfully the world has moved
1: on. And you know we treat
0: don't treat our employees as numbers, do we? Mm. Uh, how long may that continue?
1: I mean, the world moving on has certainly been clear for the last couple of years when it changed beyond belief and thankfully we're getting back to normal now. Well, it carries on changing. So what do you think is your big sort of focus area personally for the next year or so? What's your big sort of driver in life or in business?
0: I th- well, in the roles that I've f- fulfilled, it's, again, trying to support the businesses. As I say, non-execs and coaches, I think is sort of a bit of an analogy between sport and business, yes. in and sport, It's to support the management teams within any of those organizations uh, very much with an eye on people. You know, however quickly the world evolves in tech and AI and everything else in this fast-moving world, we're a service business and it's about people. Now, we might, you know, not have people on a till in nine months' time, a year's time, you know, because of all the automation and technology advancements and everything else. But I think as soon as we lose sight of people in any industry probably, that I'm involved with, anyway, yeah. in, Anthony, I think it's almost the beginning of the end. Now, we have to find a balance. Of course, we do. So we need to embrace technology and everything that goes with that. But as I said before, and you know, one of the great attractions around BM, as an example, is that it is very, very much a people focused business. And long may that continue. So I'm sort of sounding a bit political, but to answer your question, strategy keep banging on about strategy and making sure that everyone understands the strategy of the businesses that i'm I'm sort of involved with and people I think it's fundamental if you get that right you'll work out how to make money
1: thank you neil for your time today not at all thank okay. you for sharing your sort of correlations i suppose really between sport and business let it waffle really no it's not it... <laughs> <laughs> thanks thank for the you. appreciate it thank you